Hey, you guys, we're excited to announce new merch. Go to stonerchickspodcast.com and check out the merch tab to see all of these new hats and mugs that we've got. The mugs say smoke your weed on one side and have a nice little leaf design and they say Stoner Chicks Podcast on the other. And there's beanies that say SYW, you know, we know, smoke your weed. Check it out. There's all different colors. It's going to be a great time. We just wanted to get cozy with you. Some of them have pom-poms. They're going to be really cozy, very fashionable. Stoner chickspodcast.com merch Welcome to Stoner Chicks Podcast, the podcast for stoners by Stoner Chicks. I'm Kayla Teal. I'm Grace Penzel. I'm Stephanie Thompson. And I'm Phoebe Richards. And we're here. (laughs) We're here. Happy December. Oh, my God. Yeah. The time really does tick by. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's everybody smoking? I'm still smoking on this hash blunt. I don't know. I know it's been a long time, but it's just, it's a lot for one person and I haven't had the opportunity to smoke with others. So that's what I've got going still. And I'm still smoking my weed salad of a bunch of different, (laughs) a little baggy even, like old school looking. That's a bunch of different (laughs) strains mixed together. Or I don't know. I just smoke whatever my boyfriend has laying around, if I'm honest. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Kayla, what about you? Are you still digging through Phoebe's stash? Yes, but I'm sad to say that I'm not smoking at the moment because after this, I have to give like a presentation to the board of directors at work. So I need to be Ooh. like the least high I've been all week to, right now. <laughs> <laughs> Fair Got enough. It. Fair enough. Well, good luck with your presentation. You look very professional right now. <laughs> Thank you. It's the turtleneck. And Stephanie, yeah. what are you smoking? Well, I'm glad you asked because this might be a little fortuitous or serendipitous or <laughs> just... <laughs> or planned. Or planned. <laughs> <laughs> but I went to the old shop and got one of my favorite brands, but I bought a, a bigger amount than I normally do. Mm-hmm. And Ravengrass, which we have mentioned on the podcast quite often, I bought a half and it comes in this box. Look at this. It comes in this box and it's like a rolling trail on top. But not only that, it has like notes so I can write like (gasps) my thoughts on this strain, which is Blueberry Trainwreck, by the way. It's like a built-in journal. Yes, it is so cool. I now am obsessed, absolutely obsessed. And I've had, I just before getting on here, went outside for a little smoke and it was, it's fabulous. I'm feeling great, feeling amazing and uh, excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) Yeah. In a moment, listeners, you'll find out why this was planned. But first, we have a couple of Patreon thank yous. We want to thank Caleb from Georgia for signing up at patreon.com slash stonerchickspodcast. Yay! Thank you, Caleb! Woo! Caleb! (laughs) And we'd also like to thank Leah from Ontario, Canada. And I like yes. to point out that Phoebe spelled it Cananda. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> so Leah from Cananda, 
We thank you. I didn't know. We thank you. Leah, welcome. (laughs) Welcome. Cuties. We love new cuties. Come to us. Come to us. (laughs) Yeah. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash stoner chicks and you have a few different options, but there's plenty of bonus content as well as other fun perks. And you'll always get a shout out on the podcast. And we get more raw on there. (laughs) It's it's true. (laughs) It is true. But today we're we're not being raw. We're being very put together for our <laughs> shit. Shit. I did not come prepared for put together. <laughs> no, no, no. Let me should I roll it back? <laughs> oh, I thought that was funny. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> for our guest, that's right. We have a wonderful guest today. I'm so excited to have on Nicole Graff. Nicole is a designer, illustrator, stylist fine artist and art director who co-wrote the 2017 book, Grow Your Own, Understanding, Cultivating, and Enjoying Cannabis. Furthermore, and most relevant to us in Seattle and Stephanie today, Nicole (laughs) just celebrated 10 years as the creative director and head of product development for Ravengrass, a Washington-based craft cannabis company she co-founded with Micah Sherman and David Stein. Nicole, thanks for being on Stoner Chicks podcast. Yay. Hi, Nicole. <laughs> thanks for having me. Hi. I was like, I love that you pulled my very professional <laughs> sounding bio because those of you familiar with the Washington cannabis industry, it's like head of creative direction and product development. Like, no, she started it. She still works there. <laughs> never leaving. Never. So we were a small farm <laughs> in Washington state. And we're owner-operated, so we do everything and just kind of share share responsibilities, mainly between my business partner, Micah Sherman, and I. Oh, great. Okay, well, that's awesome. Yeah, so you, you and Micah have been doing this for a decade. What has it been like celebrating this anniversary? Well, you know, we haven't really celebrated yet. I will be back in Washington in a couple of weeks. And then there's talk of us having a, a proper celebration then. But Micah is sort of like the antithesis of me in a lot of ways. And while I love a celebration and love a holiday, he really hates them. <laughs> so when it was our 10-year anniversary, he was like, yeah, but it's not really. I mean, 10-year anniversary of our first sale wasn't until... And I was like, oh my God, that's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, we'll do that one too. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? That's our 10 year anniversary. There's, we have lots of 10 year anniversaries, but anyhow, so I will force him and to celebrate. All, <laughs> yeah, all good reasons to celebrate. Exactly, exactly. And it was, yeah, definitely a whirlwind. It's been a whirlwind for 10 years. It's been a different kind of storm every few years. <laughs> I imagine. Starting it at the time, there was just so much unknown. You had to like apply for your license and build a business plan and like start creating a business without knowing if you even had the license yet. You had to have everything in place as though you already had it. And you know, there was no one to talk to. There was no one to say like, I mean, don't worry. Like everybody's going to get one. Like we really had no idea. We were like, we could be doing all of this work (laughs) in a vacuum. And then they'd be like, no, sorry. Wow. (laughs) You don't get one. (laughs) So I just put that together that because you've been going for 10 years, you were, I would, would you say you're one of the first legal cannabis farms in the country? Yes. Whoa. (laughs) At this point. 
which is funny. We were in the second wave of licenses that were issued in Washington state. So there was a really early round that was like Canisol Farms, who's one of our sun-grown partners and people who were pretty much already established in the state. We were growing medically with David, but on a really small scale. So we did not have something that we could just roll into commercial development. We built out our space and had to expand quite a bit to be able to actually scale up in the way needed. So yeah, we were round two. And now that makes us one of the oldest farms in the room, kind of wherever we go, which is (laughs) pretty interesting. Yeah. I do have some friends in California who will. It's a rough industry right now for craft scale farms. It's a rough industry for anyone trying to do things with a sense of social responsibility or environmental responsibility, you know, as is kind of the landscape of US in general, but especially within cannabis. But all the friends in California who will talk about how hard things are. And I'm like, oh, you guys are literally only halfway <laughs> to how tired we are. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Give it another five years. <laughs> Yeah. I don't love that. They don't, that's like the worst thing you can say to friends, <laughs> by the way, when they complain to you. I guess you're being practical though, but I definitely want to hear more about that. But first, Phoebe had a couple questions that she wants to ask. Oh, you yes. Please do. Yes. Yes. We have some fun questions we like to ask our guests that are very uh, ultra important, such as. <laughs> oh, I can't. <laughs> What is your favorite time of day to smoke weed? Oof, totally depends on like where in the world I am, mm-hmm. when I'm around. I mean, there is like the biggest treat I think there is for me because I'm such an upper person. Like I love, I understand that sleep is necessary. I understand <laughs> it is important. There have been times where like, being horizontal is such an incredible feeling and you like bless your bed with everything within you. However, I just love being awake and like being alive and doing things. So the gift of a hippie speedball is like (laughs) the best. And when you can share it with someone fun, which is the last time was really a possibility. I was living in Mexico city and we'd like sit on my rooftop and have coffee and smoke a joint and then go out into the world and go to the markets. And, you know, I have such like on memories of that time last summer. So that is fantastic. Love that time of day. But I yeah. also love, and one of my favorite things is smoking weed with friends while we do projects, while we get into art projects yeah. and like create just a huge fucking mess, you know? <laughs> you just have like the world's biggest table in front of you and it's just covered in shit. <laughs> it's covered in snacks and wood carvings and all the things. and. My friend in Bolinas, California, who is another Nicole and also a cannabis business owner. She owns a business called Cosmic View. And I've done quite a bit of creative work for the brand over the years. And we will just get into these ridiculous, like harebrained schemes of like, what if we hand carved, you know, lino cuts for your brand graphics? And then we hand printed them <laughs> all ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, we're gonna need to be really high for this. <laughs> yes. Especially with someone who's also a weed snob, it's so fun to really curate the experience and like they let you do your job, you know, they let you talk to them about the weed and what it's going to do and what you can expect and kind of really curate the day and like go from one strain to the next to the next. And 
yeah, it's, it's very fun. It's very fun to get to a place where, you know, you're kind of also like too stoned to be effectively doing your work. (laughs) You need to take a fun friend break and like go on a mission. Go on a walk, go on a mission. Yes, exactly. I love that. I'm jealous. I want to smoke weed and do projects with you. I'm like, come do some projects yeah. <laughs> anytime. Also very important. What is your favorite stoner snack? Oh, shit. You really don't want to know that from me. I am <laughs> so oh, no, that we means do. we definitely do. <laughs> no, you really don't. I'm so boring. Love it. No, Boring's boring. great. I'm just like. A really crunchy granola kind right. of a girl. I'm like, oh, so God. literally granola then? Oh, that's like fancy. That's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like I'll do, I love a stovetop popcorn. I love a really old school, like well executed stovetop popcorn <laughs> with some ghee, some nutritional yeast, some Bragg's, Olympia stuff. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But also I'm renowned for like going out in the garden at Micah's house when I'm back and just like foraging weird things from his garden and making like stoner stacks for snacks of like a tiny cucumber (laughs) with a tomato wrapped in a basil leaf wrapped in a kale leaf. And he's like, okay. (laughs) Just a like little nature's burrito just right (laughs) out there. I love a nature's burrito. I love a forage sandwich. I love okay. I love some produce in my life. I love that. I'm more jealous now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, the final important question, then to all the other stuff, is what is your preferred method of intaking THC? Ooh, I love a joint. I'm unfortunately for my lungs, I love a joint. <laughs> mm-hmm. And- I will say I love like a well-crafted edible, but I'm pretty particular about that just because I think people do a pretty unintentional job of dosing a lot of times or of like paying attention to ingredients. I think we do an infused coconut oil that you can use thanks to Washington's really great uh, (laughs) laws across the board. It's really prohibitive to have an edibles kitchen. So we pivoted our coconut oil to something that we say can be used on or in your body in any way that feels good to you. Oh, Um, okay. Hey, this is really good to know. Listen, it's also true. Like it's a great lube. It's a great hand balm. It's a great, start with lube, (laughs) lead into hand balm. (laughs) (laughs) Predominantly lube, we're hearing you. Predominantly lube, unless you put a coconut oil on the action. (laughs) Let's be real. But really great for dosing edibles. And because it's in a really clean fat, it makes for a really stable high. You don't get that like big rush and crash that sugar-based edibles can give you, especially, again, the way things are structured economically within the cannabis market across all the states, it really doesn't encourage people using high-quality ingredients. So a lot of times you just have white refined sugar as your main edibles carrier. And it's just not a great way to have THC interact with your body, have any cannabinoids interact with your body. There's nothing to really bind to. There's, you get the big spike and crash, which is not my favorite um, feeling. So I love, if I have a luxurious amount of time, I love to like bake a little granola bar with our coconut oil or like 
make a little a little snack with that. But I just love a joint. I've tried to do the vaporizer thing. I've tried to do the flower vaporizer. I've got out of packs. I've done the the concentrate vaporizing. I understand it's better for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it doesn't hit the same. I it know. doesn't make me feel the same. I feel like I don't know I'm high and then I'm too high. And mm-hmm. I'm the kind of high that's just like leaving my oven on and leaving the house or like, <laughs> like disoriented. Exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. disoriented and out in the world. And come on. Very relatable. Yeah. Love a joint. I love it. So do we. And something I know that you're very intentional when it comes to cannabis consumption, something that's very unique about Ravengrass is the way that you educate about your product and categorize your products. And actually the Ravengrass website even is a pretty great wealth of information. I was exploring some and you focus on cannabinoid chemotypes. And so that's sort of the total chemical profile, not just the cannabinoids, not just the terpenes, but sort of the the whole picture. Is that right? Yeah, it's sort of, you know, the whole physiology of the plant. So um, typology of chemovar is what we, not we refer to it as, what it's referred to as. Mm -hmm. And it breaks things down into types one through five. Type one being THC predominant strains. Type two being a balanced CBD THC ratio. Type three being CBD predominant, which is really anything over a 10 to 1 ratio. Type four is what they call secondary or tertiary cannabinoid dominant, which would be like a CBG dominant strain, something like that, which really isn't common in the market. It does exist in the market. We've got some strains we're working on right now with some California breeders that hopefully we'll have out, if not this year, next. And then type five is predominantly for research purposes before things were legalized, but it's cannabinoid null. So really no trace of any cannabinoids, like even below what's classified now as hemp um, legally. So those we kind of don't have to pay attention to. We really want people to focus on types one through three. Types one through three. And then I also noticed that within types one through three, in terms of what you're actually offering and putting out for people to consume, there seems to be a lot of blends. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. So just to back up one second, the reason that we talk about typology versus sativa and indica is while sativa and indica are definitely things within cannabis, they are definitely designators of narrow-leaf plants versus broad-leaf plants for many reasons. (laughs) but one of which is you know there's been so much crossbreeding now between strains the size of your leaf is not really indicative of what kind of experience you're going to have i know it's become shorthand the indica in the couch sativa being up indica being down people trying to come up with all these mnemonic devices to like remember which is which and we really just want to take the whole thing back and just be like tell us how you want to feel Right, And we have strains that are categorized according to how you'd like to feel. And everybody's body type is different. Everybody's internal chemistry is different. 
we're all going to have slightly different experiences within those ranges. As woo-woo as it sounds, when we talk about strains, when we describe our strains, we try to capture the spirit of the plant more so than talking about it like it's a prescription for an effect that you're going to feel. It's a living thing. Exactly. And it has a very complex chemistry. You have a very complex chemistry. When you put the two together, it's going to be slightly different than when I put it together. Especially, you know, between Micah and David and I, me being the only woman in the group, I would always have, I would always be the outlier experientially. So that's why when we do write our strain descriptions and come up with how we classify all of our different strains, it's really important for me to have a pretty big pool of testers that we're working with that fill out review sheets for us. And then I can really distill like the most common experiences and separate the outliers versus when it was just sort of me against two more similar bodies. (laughs) Right. And yeah, yeah, it's much more helpful. But as far as the blends, that's actually a thing. Um, So all of our blends are type two, which is the balanced CBD THC ratio. Anything that you see on our line that has the word blend in it means it was physically blended. So we do have four type 2 CBD balanced ratio strains in our line that are actually just cultivars that we've bred in-house that are plants that come out of the ground with those ratios. A 3 to 1 CBD dominant, a 1 to 1, a 2 to 1. All of our strains fit in one of those three ratios. But we started doing CBD blends because that was how Micah and I were smoking weed at the time. Okay. We would make cocktails. As you were talking about with your weed salad, it was usually just a two-strain cocktail, but it would be one of our higher CBD strains sprinkled with some Durban poison or cut with some Jack Hair. And a lot of that was just like, we wanted to function. We wanted something that was a little bit clearer, a little bit brighter. We wanted to, again, like we like smoking is the other problem. (laughs) You can't smoke. I mean, no judgment if you can. I can't smoke an entire Durban poison joint and like be a human being. Like I would be a creature (laughs) that is not recognizable in any shape (laughs) or form if I were to do that. Actually, if it was Durban poison, I would have a crazy anxiety attack too because that is so up. But all that to say, we were walking friends and family through verbally and customers when we would do vendor days and bud tenders. We were walking everybody through verbally all these recommendations of like strains we like to cocktail together and you know people being like, oh, weed today is just too strong for me. And we'd be like, buy yourself an ounce of ACDC, which was the type three strain we had back then, which was a 20 to one CBD dominant strain. Buy yourself an ounce of that to keep on hand and make your joint predominantly that and sprinkle it with some type one. Everyone's like, oh, that's such a great idea. Absolutely going to do that. And then people will be like, but I don't really want to keep buying, you know, like eighths of this or ounces of this. Like, can I just buy two joints and mix them together? And then one day we're like, why are we not just making this? Like, why are we not just doing this for people? (laughs) Like, we're rolling them for friends and family. Why don't we just do it? So, anything that has blend in the name. Is something we're physically blending two strains together. We are making a cocktail with whatever strains are listed underneath whatever the the name is. We just just have one of our 
classics coming back. I'm checking, I'm writing the newsletter right before I got on the podcast with you guys. But we have Max Chillblend re- being reissued right now. So beneath whatever the Max strain chill. is. Yes, Max Chill is like mm-hmm. being in a hot tub. <laughs> kind of high. Like your whole body is just kind of like bubbly and warm and relaxed and yes, lovely. Please. Exactly. Exactly. It's a really good cooler weather strain. I really associate it with that just because it is like a cozy, snuggly indoor kid kind of strain. It's not a go play outside, be in the sun, you know. But that one is Granddaddy Purple. And then I believe Frida is the high CBD strain that we mix them together. And the thing about those that makes them unique is they're not CBD dominant. So in nature, anytime you have a type two strain, if it's if one of the numbers is elevated, it's always the CBD. You're never going to have a three to one ratio THC dominant type two strain in nature. The plants don't grow that way. So with this cocktailing, we're able to make these slightly THC dominant type two experiences and have these really nuanced kind of cocktail experiences for people. Nice. Some CBD undertones. Well, I love that. Definitely go and check out. You have a beautiful table that you've created with some of these descriptions and chemotypes, some keys to all of that on your website. And then I want to hear more about your business, more about what it's like to grow and produce in Washington state. We do need to take a smoke break, but since you brought it up, how can folks sign up for your newsletter? It is actually mainly a newsletter for our retail partners. However, <laughs> then never mind. You can sign up for it <laughs> on our website regardless. Okay. Um, okay, cool. It really just goes through like what we're talking about on social media, it goes through, you know, what we've been posting about. There's always like a little surprise treat at the end. <laughs> surprise treat. Which is fun. It's all it's always very directed at the reader being high. So if you do <laughs> sign up for the newsletter, be sure you're stoned on Monday afternoons and be ready for it. Well, fantastic. And on that, I think let's take a smoke break. Woot woot. Smoke your weed. Welcome back from your smoke break stoners. We're here with Nicole Graff of Ravengrass. And I don't know why I said that the weirdest <laughs> way possible. But Ravengrass. <laughs> Ravengrass. And Thanks for being here, Nicole. I (laughs) want to hear more about your business. On your website, I was reading your mission statement and something stood out to me. You said, we're interested in what it means to be a successful business independent of profit motivation. And you clued us into that a little bit before we started recording in uh, talking about uh, fairly paying your staff and what that means for your own profit or lack thereof. And (laughs) I just wanted to ask you, in what ways have you at Ravengrass been able to innovate and grow as a business and as cultivators 
by deprioritizing profit? Um, well, unfortunately, not too much because the Washington market is really not friendly to growers. So the profit margins for growers are barely at survival rate and have been for the last 10 years. So while we started out with the intention, as I will say quite a few other businesses have of not being profit motivated, of having a values-driven business, starting a company in order to provide a resource for your community, of having jobs that pay the living wage, having positions in a company where you could show up and actually be treated like a person and have a say in what your day looked like and what your how your role in the company felt, what your your process is, what your have autonomy within your work and be able to actually find joy and ownership over your work rather than treating it this ball and chain mentality we've been encouraged to think about work as. Um, there's actually a really beautiful talk and essay by Audre Lord about bringing eroticism into other parts of our life other than just the sexual and how the notion of eros is really just identifying where we feel passion throughout our lives and hopefully you know creating a business where people who worked with us could find that in their work and be just as passionate about what we wanted to bring to the world as we were all that to say and <laughs> i'm like <laughs> and what else all of these mm-hmm. noble goals us paying a fair living wage was not just for people who work for us under our roof we want to be able to source packaging from people who are paid fairly treated like human beings all of that which is something that is so often overlooked both in this industry and others I came from working in the fashion industry. I used to be a shoe and accessories designer at Madewell before I started Raven. And I worked, you know, Madewell is under the J. Crew umbrella. And we got really lucky because we had a really strong auditing team that would go into all of our factories and with a fine tooth comb, making sure that the people that were working there were being treated fairly. And even still, under this big corporate umbrella, there were still things they would try and pull the wool over our eyes. And there was still a lot of exploitation that would slip through the cracks and would be found out about later that was covered up. And then as a small business owner, I think I only understood how big of a problem it was because of that previous experience. And talking with other small business owners who were just buying their shit off Alibaba and being like, it's fine. <laughs> like, Jim is messaging me. He says he's the factory rep and that everything's fine. And I'm like, have you seen any certification papers? And they're like, huh? <laughs> what? No. Jim on Alibaba.com tells me everything's chip shape. I believe him. I'm like, oh God. Oh God. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nothing is chip shape. <laughs> so, you know, we really try to support other like-minded businesses in any way we can. And for us, the whole thing was... And the whole thing for me personally, especially, I don't need to speak for Micah necessarily, though I know we're pretty much on the same page, but there's just no need for me to create a business in 2023 in America that doesn't have a reason for existing other than making you some fucking money. Like get a job and support something you believe in. And maybe that's harsh. I understand that's not a very like capitalist spirit. May sound a little bit. A little bit socialist of me of like maybe we should all be working together to like accomplish things that we want to see in this world rather than 
all needing to have our own brand on a box or our own name on a box or our own say in everything. Maybe we should just be working together to further some common goals. The thing about Washington makes this prohibitive for farmers is they set up a system where there was an unlimited number of licenses that were handed out for growers effectually. There was a limit on it, but it was very, very high. There was a very stringent limit put on the number of retail licenses that were issued and you were not allowed to have vertical integration. So if you owned interest in a farm, you could not have interest in a retail operation. The fact of there being a very small kind of bottleneck to market, all these growers, very few retail outlets to choose from. It was like a bad high school economics experiment, right? Like whoever came up with this wouldn't probably wouldn't have passed the class because it was a really fucking dumb idea. It led to an economic situation where those who had retail licenses now control all of the power within the market. So they are in effect able to make all of the decisions for said market. They're able to decide how much time is spent with each customer, what the educational system looks like within the market. What is prioritized as far as what makes quote unquote good weed? How people are treated in a shop in general, what a shop looks like, and most importantly, what the markup is. So, how much money they get to keep as store owners versus how much we get to keep as farmers who are doing all of the work in manufacturing the product, packaging the product, labeling the product putting the compliance codes on the product, getting the product delivered, and they are providing shelf space. And for providing shelf space, they get to keep three to 400% of the markup. <laughs> they get that most retailers are operating at a three to 400% markup. And that is just not tenable. And that's also just unheard of in any other industry. Again, coming from fashion and coming from like not budget fashion, you know, this was not necessarily known as fast fashion and our markups were nowhere near that. Like if my merchant team ever even thought about getting close to a 300 markup, they would have lost their minds. (laughs) That is, that is a dream that doesn't happen. And we're even beyond that now. And as a result, We've seen a market where, you know, the margins are so thin for farms that if there's a mistake, which obviously shit happens in farming, especially in organic farming, you're going to lose a crop. You're going to have a blight. You're going to, you know, there's a big course correction when it comes to organic farming between when you make the decision to start amending your soil or applying beneficial bacteria, beneficial insects, predator mites, something like that. It takes a while. In the same way that it takes a human body a while, you can just take a Western medicine antibiotic and really knock something out of your system. Or you can go the natural route and you know go with herbs and change your diet and your lifestyle. And it takes a while to see effects when you do things that way. But a lot of times there's just not the margin of error to be able to sustain that. And as a result, we have between and 
I don't have exact numbers on this right now. Don't quote me about being recorded. So it's going to be quoted. Um, But there are between 20 and 30% of the farms that were initially licensed in Washington state that still remain, which is, you know, a catastrophic failure of a market. Like, yeah, that is no, yeah, I am not surprised that at all. I worked as a trimmer for a company that's now defunct because they tried to get, I forget, it was a business licensing thing and it took too long. They kept getting stuck along the way and they just didn't, they run out of money to sustain doing stuff. And yeah, and I mean, even beyond that, it'll be um, getting robbed, Mm. getting robbed and getting robbed. God, we have a friend who got robbed. Four times this summer. Four times. And I mean, they are still around, which I have no idea how they're still around. But a lot of farms, one or two times is enough to put you under when you're... I mean, if you imagine being a small business owner and within the first year of business coming up against that, like it's it's not tenable. It's not realistic. And on top of that, being unable to be insured federally, having no crop protection, having... It's a very specific industry that you try to explain to people why it's difficult. And they're like, well, what about, well, surely there is, and you're like, oh, no, there's, <laughs> and then, you know, people outside the industry. Like, are like you've well, been here since the beginning. You've looked at it. Yeah. Why are you still doing this? And it's like, well, because we really, A, we really believe in the power of cannabis in general. And we've gotten so much feedback from people who use our products who have had their lives changed, whether it's in a really small way, they're able to not feel super sick and be able to eat better now because their their Crohn's disease is more under control to people who had such crazy PTSD as veterans who are now able to leave their house and like everywhere in between that spectrum. And like, what are you going to do when you know that you're producing things that allow people that like just stop doing it? it's hard like that seems pretty self-interested <laughs> and we look at then doing something else and it's like well what else could we conceivably do right now that would have this big of an influence on the world as we believe it should exist and another big part of what we try to do when we talk about operating a business outside of profit motive is create a landscape where people can make those decisions So for the last seven years, we've been pushing for legislation to define and protect the concept of craft within Washington state. Um, Craft exists and nationally as well, but we're only able to focus on legislation within Washington state because we're still not federally legal as an industry yet. So that said, (laughs) there is craft designations that exist within all the alcohol categories. And that's Mm -hmm. how we're able to have small breweries and tasting rooms and small wineries that still exist when we're talking about Anheuser-Busch and <laughs> these giant conglomerates and so much consolidation that's happened within the alcohol industry as well. But you're still able to start a small thing and exist as a business. And within the cannabis industry, that is not the case. And we've had mass extinction after mass extinction event in Every state that's come on board so far that's you know been over the three-year mark, obviously the first year you're going to see this huge boom and then there's usually the recession and then things you know level out a little bit. And then within that, 
typically a market would stabilize and we haven't seen that at all in cannabis. It's just one mass extinction event after another while small businesses <laughs> go under. And it's both really demoralizing and, and so difficult to, again, like not feel like a martyr and be like, why are we just in this? Like till we bleed out and like can't do it anymore. It's like, well, cause there's still a fight to be fought. And while it's really, really discouraging, every legislative session we get in and, you know, the further you get into local politics, state politics, national politics, I think the more discouraging it gets because you see how, how far in advance decisions are made, how out of the hands of quote unquote, like common people, um, these decisions actually are how much lobbyists influence decisions being made, how bought and paid for across such a wide variety of realms. Um, these decisions have been for before we even knew it was an issue to get involved in. Someone else was paying to have it made in their favor. And it's really fucking demoralizing. <laughs> but it's also, you know, what else can you do if not fight for it, talk about it publicly, educate people and try and make whatever change you can. And we've been really lucky and really unlucky <laughs> in different ways, but yeah. we've been really lucky to have representatives who have been, you know, matched with our bill, who have really taken an interest in what we're doing, who really, that's the other crazy thing is there'll be, these legislators will be assigned cannabis bills and they know nothing about cannabis, nothing. And it's an, like, let alone the intricacies of the industry or the inequities of how things were set up, they have no knowledge of consumption, of when things were legalized, of what, how many stores there are, just any part of it. Zero context. Zero context. And so it's always a big rush to like get them on board, educate them. They don't have time for that. Like they barely have time in a session to do their required work with them, let alone educate them with 10 years of background on right, right. this thing that's also a very foreign issue and unlike anything. And, you know, people want to always compare it to tobacco or compare it to alcohol or compare it to pharmaceuticals or compare it to agriculture. And while there's truths in all of that, it's not a full picture. So unfortunately, yeah. there's like no quick fix. You have to take the time. You have to learn about it. You have to whatever. But we've gotten really lucky that the ones who have taken the time they'll be like, holy shit, this is terrible, you guys. Like, this yeah. And we're like, that's what we're saying. Okay, like now we're on the same page. And every year it's kind of the same thing where then we get our hopes up and we think we're getting somewhere. And again, like not to paint the retailers out as the bad guys, because there are quite a few retailers that we've worked with throughout the years who do want a sustainable market to exist within. They believe in, the same things we believe in up till a point, but they also don't want to lose. They don't want to sacrifice their self-interest. They don't want to sacrifice their bottom line to get to those values. And so they're, they're not going to put their neck out for us, but they're also not going to be openly exploitive, right? Then there yeah. are the people who are openly exploitive players within the industry who are actively trying to promote consolidation, just get the cheapest shit in their stores with the highest THC, 
put up some glossy posters and not give a shit about it, you know, like move on. It's a business. It's here to make me money. Like that's the point. And if you're not doing that, you're kind of an idiot. Like you're bad at business. You're, you don't get it. You, and we just staunchly disagree with that. So anyhow, the people who do that, unfortunately have most of the resources within the industry, meaning they can afford to hire good lobbyists. And we've kind of gotten our, our feet cut off last seconds of the game every year and every year we just come back and do it again and there's lawmakers to look to as inspiration who've been doing this for 50 years and i mean we've like while he's far from a perfect human being because he is a human being people like bernie sanders who've been career politicians who have been really focused on their path of their belief system and have led careers that were really directed just by a values system. I mean, it's hard to look at people like that and be like, I'm going to give up after eight. <laughs> like, yeah. If you really believe in it, if that's the kind of life you want to lead, if that's the kind of world you want to see, then to me, like we're really late in the game when it comes to um, both the U S and this, this whole like game we're participating in together in this human experiment and society. And it's like, if you're not here to make it better, if you're not here to help shape where we're going, then kind of get out of the way. Like, go sit down. <laughs> go do yeah. Well, Nicole, thank you for holding on to the hope and holding <laughs> on to that attitude. Honestly, mm, um, we're trying. If you're not helping, then get out of the way. And in that spirit, as we're nearing the end of our talk with you, what would you say is the best way for us as consumers in Washington or just, I mean, we have listeners all over the country and also outside of the United States. What is the best way for consumers in a retail market to support craft cannabis growers and producers? I mean, I just think buying small farms is really the biggest thing. As the craft movement starts to gain ground um, as we're you know able to ask for direct action from consumers to help support legislative efforts like absolutely get involved talk to the farms that you love you know sign up for their sign up for their newsletters things like that <laughs> yeah. but that said unfortunately there's not much more that consumers can do at this point especially within Washington just because things are so separated between farm and consumer. It's why yeah. part of the designation of craft cannabis that we push for is to allow for direct sales. So to allow for farms mm. to be able to just directly sell a portion of what we grow directly to consumers, be able to talk to consumers, educate them about what we're doing, what they're getting from us, why they should get what they're getting from us, you know, what they want, be able to come see the farm, be able to meet us and make a more informed decision about what they're buying over just a bud tender. Yeah, I don't want to get my cannabis like going into a vape shop with just right. some glossy posters and <laughs> right. the sad Well, person. and a lot of times the people who work there really have no idea what they're selling. You know, I've, I'll go into a shop in Oregon, in California, and it's not always the case, but by and large, and even in like, quote unquote, nice dispensaries, I'll ask questions that are, you know, they're like prepped with 
with the Rolodex of answers. You know, they know what terpenes are now. They know what CBG is now. They know what THCV is. They know those kinds of things. But when I ask like, who's growing in live earth? Who's a small farm? Are any of these farms owner operated anymore? Like no one's got answers. They look at me like I am the worst thing that's happened to their day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, even sometimes, like sometimes even if I just ask, like, do you have any weed grown by women? Sometimes they freeze. Like I have eight heads. (laughs) And I'm like, it's not a hard question. You should know this. Here's the hard thing. And again, it's like what we were talking about with the lawmakers. What I what I was proselytizing about with the lawmakers is like <laughs> there's just so much to learn and it's such a complex conversation to have of like even going in and asking like which of these farms is owned by women or has women led ownership. Then you look at a company like MedMen in California who like did a slick rebrand and brought a bunch of women onto their board. But at the end of the day, it's still a male-owned company and they're also being super exploitive to farms and processors who are working with them right now. The little guys who can't afford to litigate them, they're like refusing payment on accounts. I know a couple of people, they owe like tens of thousands of dollars. This isn't like little amounts of money. It's like thirty to $50,000 too. And they're just you know, being dicks because they can, because they're a giant company. And on paper, they've got Gwyneth Paltrow saying they're the way to go. They've got, they're like the responsible option. And so a lot of times bud tenders are going to just say what they've been told to say, because they don't have any way of knowing that that's bullshit. They don't have any way to know anything more than that. So consumers don't have a way to know. And that's a really daunting daunting thing to tell people like don't really trust anything yeah <laughs> it's like well then what can we trust and again it's like get to know farms and get to know farms and yeah. shop small small shops, farms small, small growers shop at stores where the owner's still around where people have worked there for multiple years and actually know what they're doing and stores that don't have high turnaround i mean that's like anywhere right You can tell when people love their jobs, when people are treated well. And those are the places I want to give my money to. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It really, it comes through. And I want to compliment you, Nicole and Micah and David in the beginning. (laughs) And um, David. (laughs) For putting, well, I'm just saying, for putting together such a, a lovely brand where I know it's not about the brand, it's about the product. And you can really feel that from everything from sustainable packaging, like a lot of it's coming in glass packaging for your pre-rolls and just the art on it that you've handmade and the descriptions and everything. You really take time to think about it from start to finish. And I really hope for you that you're able to get the craft designation and <laughs> and you. also that there's more of a shift towards a focus on organic programs in the market as well because something that we didn't even have time to touch on is your approach to growing with living soil and you call it vera terra true earth in lieu of a USDA organic label 
you have this certification for yourselves. Well, and, it's hey. sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing that we didn't realize was tongue-in-cheek at the time. Like, <laughs> I, I did it initially very sincerely, being like, we're not allowed to claim organic status, so fuck it, we'll make our own. And this is what it okay. stands for, and we're putting yeah. it on every package. So it's clear people understand because even within an organic designation, you know, that's problematic for small farms in its own way because it's really expensive. But you just tell people how you grow, right? Like that's our whole quote unquote branding Mm -hmm. marketing ethos is transparency. Like we're just going to tell you what we're doing. And if that resonates with you, please buy our products. And if it doesn't, cool, buy someone else's products. (laughs) That is literally the point of having a free market. Like choose what you want, but I'm not going to manipulate you into thinking you need what I have. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing in a hopefully as clear of a way as I can. But with the Veritera thing, the reason it became tongue-in-cheek is all of these private companies, because we're prohibited from getting organic designation, all these private companies came up offering their own seals of like, you too can be blank certified. You can pay us to give you a certification. (laughs) I'm just like, no, we're good. We already got one. I just made something up, put it on the bag. It's literally the same (laughs) shit you guys did. You're just selling it to more people. (laughs) You're just selling it to people. But Raven Grass is Stoner Chick certified. I'm going to give that (laughs) the official designation here. Thank you. Thank you. I will pay you guys for that certification (laughs) via like weed sometime. You can come over. (laughs) We would love that. We would love to share a joint with you sometime, Mm -hmm. Nicole. And it's been wonderful to hear from you. Thank you for your transparency and your honesty in the Washington market. And thanks for being around for a decade. Woohoo! Go Ravengrass. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a total blast. And hey, everybody, look for Ravengrass flower and other products in dispensaries in Washington. And thank you for listening to Stoner Chicks podcast. Yes. Thank you so much. And thank you, Nicole, so much for giving us the tea on tea. (laughs) 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 And listeners, you should visit our website, stonerchickspodcast.com, where you can find out about any upcoming shows like Vision Euro at Comedy Sports that Grace is in. And Stephanie, you're going to be in Uncle Mike Ruins Christmas. And Kayla has her monthly sketch show. Plus, you can sign up for our email list. You can buy merch, fun stuff like that. You should also go to TikTok and follow us as Broccoli Broads. (laughs) Stephanie pretty much single-handedly fills that. No, I shouldn't say that with a lot of help from Kayla. Mm -hmm. Make some amazing TikToks. Check those out. Plus, you can email us at Random burn. (laughs) I didn't mean it as a burn. I meant it as a compliment. Sorry, sorry. Carry it on. Carry on. Carry on. Oh, so sorry. Uh, but you can email us at sonarchickspodcast at gmail. You can send your high thoughts to Stephanie, please. You can send snail mail to P.O. Box 80586, Seattle, Washington, 98108. Also, you should rate and review us on Apple or Spotify. We might read your reviews if they're five stars, like right <laughs> now. Would recommend. Came for the weed talk. Stayed for the friendships. Thanks, Francis. Thanks, Francis. Thank you, Francis. And that was five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Killing it. Oh, hey, Kayla. What do stoner chicks always say? Support your small farms. 
Yay! Yay! And smoke your weed. And smoke your weed. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>